thank you for all the songs and singers. And Brother Kevin, glad you made it into town. And look forward to hearing you preach and meeting you this week. And thank you for your work there in Australia. What a blessing. Uh, I'm glad you came back. I mean, you may, you may have been here by accident this morning. You, you, you just didn't know any better. But you knew better tonight and you came back. Amen. I had one fellow said, thanks for running Christmas this morning. And uh, uh, we do what we can. Amen. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying my time here. This church, uh, whether you know it or not, he had had me get up when I was here, when Brother Perkins was here, and just introduce myself and asked me to tell you about what I did, but I really didn't that night because it was just a real blessing for me to be able to come in. Uh, and folks were so friendly, and the music that you had here and just the spirit of the service, it was really refreshing for me where I was at that time in life. And so I, I, I'm grateful to get to come. Good to have my wife. She, she's on the back end of a cold, so uh, she's not shaking hands with you for not that she's contagious, but just for your protection. And she don't like people, okay? <laughs> but uh, it's good to have her, and I wanted her to, to meet up. I really think at the end of the week, y'all got so much talent here, each missionary ought to get to take some home with him. <laughs> we'll vote on that later, Okay. Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read again. I hope, I hope uh, by the help of the Lord this morning, we, we just tried to bring you to this text and, and try to kind of wipe away the familiar scene that we're so used to with the Christmas play and, and really ask God to, while we're here this week, to use this text to speak to us on a, on a much deeper level. And we're, we're certainly here uh, in, in the heart of missions, and I'll share more about that tonight as we really get into the meat of things. But uh, let, let's read in verse uh, 1 again of chapter 2. And he said, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born? I like that. King of the Jews. He's born king. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently uh, for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over them where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared uh, to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee Word For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. I'll stop reading there. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity of night. And Lord, you know there's a lot of things running through my head and my heart. 
And Lord, I pray you'll sort it all out, God, that I'd say everything that I need to, nothing more, nothing less. And Lord, that you'd do something in their midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, for those of you that don't know much about me, I'm still not going to tell you a whole lot about me, but I uh, am involved. What we do is called itinerant missionary services. I pastored, I told you this morning, 13 years. We started a mission work there in Virginia, and I pastored that for 13 years. And through the process of working with missions and God teaching me something about missions and missionaries that uh, began to show me some issues that were there because of the problem. A lot of the guys that were going to the field, they, they'd stay a year or two, and then they'd end up coming home. There's a high attrition rate of missionaries out here in the West that hit here uh, for just a little while, and, and then they're gone. Uh, but the Lord had given me some things to begin to show me what it was, uh, some of the problems that were there. And, and a lot of times it's just that they go, they go start a work somewhere. And, and because that they're not able to get away because they have a church that is growing. It's a young church and it's a babes in Christ. And, and most of the time the preacher there, he does everything. He does the sing, uh, song leading, the Sunday school teaching, uh, the cleaning. They, they, they do it all. And so when they go away then they're unattended. And so God had just let me know if they had somebody that could just come and get under their burden and carry that load for a while, uh, that'd go a long ways to be able to help them. They can visit family and visit churches, get preaching, get ministered to, uh, to get their medical needs. And so that's kind of how God began to burden my heart in that direction. Well, in 2008, God clarified for me that's what he wanted me to do. And uh, it took about a year to step down from the church and get the pastor in that was going to be there as, as I left out. And so in 2009, we began itinerant missionary services. And it's our heart. Our, our main goal is that we want to keep missionaries on the field and we want to keep the churches functioning. We don't want uh, to, to lose the churches that are there and we don't want to lose the men because a lot of times when they leave, they think the grass is going to be greener over here when they find out it's, it's not any greener over there and, and they've done stepped out of the will of God and it just makes a lot of problems and a lot of mess. And so we began that, and God gave us the opportunity to come to the West and give us the call to the West. And so, again, we've been working out here several years. And, and I found out I was really good at it because the first two or three uh, that I encountered, that I went and I ministered, I did everything that God had called me to do, they all left. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I'm great at this. I don't know why I hadn't been doing this before. Uh, but I learned some things. Is that... If things are not built on the right foundation, there's always going to come a storm, no matter how much labor you get, there's always going to come a storm that's going to take it away. The Bible illustrates it there about the, the foolish man that built his house on the sand and the man that built his house on the rock and the storms came, the winds blew, and of course the one on the rock, it's the one that stood. And so if you don't get the foundation right, then everything that you build on top of it is going to be wrong. Now, I said this morning, and, I, and I'm going to say some things tonight, and, and I told you I'm different, and, and our text may be different, and uh, again, we're just going to get into it, because the Lord began to show me that in missions, there were some things that were foundationally wrong that were leading to a lot of the problems that we have in churches as far as missions go and with missionaries and their relationships. And if we didn't deal with fixing that problem where the problem actually was, we could do whatever we wanted to and I could spend the rest of my life uh, doing what I'm doing and, and the people are still going to be going home and we're still going to have problems that are there. And one of the things I'm going to do this week is I'm going to say things to you that most missionaries are not going to say to you, but they're true whether they say them to you or not. 
Because most of the time when a missionary comes in, they're going to come and they're going to give you good, good rosy reports. And when they give you uh, their report from where they are and where they're serving, they're going to try to find highlights of where things went right and where things were good. And, and the reason for that is, by in large, is that somewhere over time, the relationship between missionary and church has got to be a financial relationship rather than a spiritual relationship. Now, most of the time, and again, I'm not going to accuse you of anything. I'm just going to preach it and give it to you like I've experienced it across the country. What's happened in missions is over time is that most of the time, if, if a guy walks through that door and I say the word, I'm Mike Sup and I'm a missionary to so-and-so, in your mind, you may not say it out loud, but most of you in your mind, you're going to think before the week's over, that guy's going to get an offering. I'm going to have to reach in my pocket and I'm going to have to get some money. And a lot of times when the guy comes in, that's what's on his mind. He's come to, to get support and so there he's, got, he's coming in mind. He's going to share his burden. He's going to share his work. And so when he comes in mind, he's got money in mind when he comes in. And I'm, I'm not saying that they're mean in what they're doing or, or they're uh, wrong in what they're doing in that realm. But I, I'm just saying that most of us, what we know about missions, we know it because that's what we saw somebody else do. And because we saw what somebody else do or we heard what they said we should do, that's what we do. The same way I said this morning, kind of comically, that I said for years, uh, Vaini sausages. And, and many of you knew exactly what I was talking about. It's because that's what I would saw, that's what I'd heard. The problem was I'd never read the can. And the can never said, in all of my life, it never said Vainis. It always said Vienna sausage. I thought it, I saw it. If I looked at it, that's what I'd have thought it said. But I'd ever actually read it. And to a great degree, that's the way mission programs have been done. It's what this said and that one said and that's what they did and that's what they did. And that's fine if what we're doing is right. But if we're not getting foundationally where things need to start and, and where most of the time when missions begins, you look at me as a missionary and I look at you as a supporting church in that mind and when we do that, we immediately, one of the questions, the first question you're going to ask if I'm a missionary is where am I going? Am I right? The first thing you're going to have in mind is going somewhere. Where are you going? And I'm going to get up and I'm going to tell you where I'm going and I'm going to tell you what my burden is for where I'm going, and you're going to find out whether you're interested in where I'm going or where I'm not going, and whether you want to invest in where I'm going or where I'm not going. And, and part of it, the tactics that have come through missions, again, I'm not knocking, I'm not making fun, I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but in, in our modern day, we've taken a business approach even to the way we present to our supporting churches. And I say that because most of the time it's going to be a standard thing. And again, I'm not against somebody doing that. That's what the Lord gives them. But we're going to come in. We're going to give you a video. We're, we're going to give you, uh, 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 so usually, Brother Benji didn't have that this morning, didn't have sad music. Brother Kevin didn't have sad music in the background. But a lot of times they're going to have sad music in the background. And, and they're going to have pictures of poor, starving children and people that, out there that have all kinds of need. And again, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying that's what they do with cats and dogs and starving children in Africa at supper time for you. Because they're trying to get you to have an emotional response to what they're doing. Am I right? Because if I have the proper emotional response, then you're going to give in their direction. Am I right? They make you feel guilty for what you have, so you'll give for what they don't have. That's the approach of business. The problem is that is, is that's infiltrated over into the church. 
And so when we began to do that, what I want to do is I want to tell you about what's going on out there and I want to make you feel bad about what's going on out there. I want to get you excited about what's going on out there. The thing of it is I want to get you emotional about it. And so if you get emotional about it, then uh, the, the, the thing of it is is you might get invested in me if I can get you emotional enough. Does that make sense? There's a problem with that. And I learned it several years ago when I bought a rainbow vacuum cleaner. Early on in our marriage, I wasn't really, really good with money. My wife wasn't really great with money, and we didn't have a whole lot of it to be great with anyway. My wife called me, told, told me to me one night. She said, I, I got a lady coming over to show us a rainbow vacuum cleaner. I said, we don't need a rainbow vacuum, vacuum cleaner, but this is what she said. She said, yeah, but we get a free two-liter drink. <laughs> I mean, how bad are you off when you get excited about... Let some lady come in and talk for two hours so you can snooker her out of a free two-liter drink. <laughs> Probably not managing your money the best. But we've got her. She's a sucker. She's coming into our house. She's going to clean our floors, and she's going to do all the work. We're going to get a two-liter drink. We're going to laugh at her when she goes out the door. But she knew suckers when she saw them. She came in with her two, her, her rainbow vacuum cleaner, $1,000 vacuum cleaner, and she went through there, and, man, she sucked up stuff and in that water, and it was like, oh, wow, I didn't know it was that dirty, and by the time it was over, my wife was real emotional about that kind of thing because she saw what it would do for the dirt, and they could put smelly stuff in it. Lord, I don't know why you got to put smelly stuff in stuff, but you, got, they, you could put smelly stuff in it, and it would do it. And, and that night when that lady drove off, we got a free two-liter drink. And a thousand dollar vacuum cleaner that's sitting in our house. Because that lady was successful at getting us emotional. But the time when the first payment arrived, and I'm just telling you, I'm not being mean or ugly. If you've got to make payments on your vacuum cleaner, you got the wrong vacuum cleaner. That don't cost you any extra this week. But when that first payment came, our emotions changed. And I couldn't stay in the right emotion. And thankfully, I had a mother-in-law that was dumber than we are. Because we sold her the vacuum cleaner and she didn't get a two-liter drink. True story. But I'm just saying... The thing that happened was, is when we were in the emotion of the moment, we liked what we had purchased. But when the emotion changed, the heart toward the purchase changed. And what's developed between pastor and missionary, whether it's exposed or whether it's said, it's an unwritten rule. I've pastored, I'm the missionary, I've done both, okay? And what the real thing behind the scenes is that if the truth be known, most missionaries do not want to hear from their supporting pastors. If the phone rings from a supporting pastor, they're afraid to answer it because they're afraid they're about to be dropped. Because most of the time, that's the only time a supporting pastor talks to that missionary. Now on the other end of it, Pastors really don't like to hear from missionaries. The reason for that is, is the same reason most of you don't answer that call when you don't recognize the number. Am I right? 
Because it's a telemarketer that's going to try to sell you something that you're not in mind of purchasing. And through the years, missionaries have become, through this, it's become a a telemarketing type thing to where you're going to call, and I'm not saying if God tells you to do it, then you do it. But if you're just going to call, then most of the time preachers are not actually going to answer the phone and they don't want to hear from you. In fact, I had it because I went from pastor to missionary and I knew the same people. I remember the first Bible conference that I went after I had left pastoring and became a missionary, you'd think I got the plague. Used to, they'd all sit at the table with me. But after that, nobody wanted to sit at the table with me. Why? Same thing with orphans. I mean, you're not going to ask an orphan, how you doing? You know how they're doing. They're probably not doing good, and you're going to feel bad for them, and you're going to want to do something for them that you really don't want to do. So let's just avoid them. Same thing with missionaries. You don't ask a missionary how they're doing. You know they got to need something. <laughs> Just talk to one. They'll tell you they got, they got that need. And, and, and what Christian ministry don't see something else they could be doing if they had something else to do it with. That's the nature of that. And so I finally got, because I was preaching in the Bible conference that there, and I just got up and I said, listen, I'm going to tell you, I didn't join the telemarketing club, and it's okay for you to be around me. I'm not going to try to talk you into this week. You can go ahead and relax because I'm not going to try to talk you into taking me on or anybody else on. Because what God wants to do in missions is that rather than get beyond a business relationship, he wants us to have a spiritual relationship. I'll give you one final illustration and I'll get into my message tonight. Just laying some ground for, for where I'm going and the heart behind what I'm going. I'll give you an example. Let's say we've got a... Two missionaries I'm going to put up, and at the end of the meeting here this week, we're going to take on one of them, all right? And I'll tell you a little bit about them. And as far as I know, one of them's been on the mission field all of his life, and he's never had one convert. As far as he knows, as far as he can testify of, he's never influenced one person to the positive that he ever has a record of. Missionary number two, he uh, went to the mission field, and, and uh, when he got to the mission field, as soon as he got there, he had about 100,000 or so that got saved immediately from his first message. Which one are you going to take on? The one that's had no converts or the one that's had 100,000 right off the bat? In our business mindset, we're always going to take the 100,000 and we're not going to take the one that's not had any. The difference is between Jonah and Jeremiah. Jonah's an out-of-the-will man of God that doesn't even care for the people that he's preaching to. Where Jeremiah is just following the will of God and doing everything that God would have him to do every day. And you're never going to support a Jeremiah and you're going to get more Jonas than anybody else if you go off emotions and not spirit. Why are you saying that, preacher? Can you back that up with scripture? I'm glad you asked that. Now I get into my message. Because what's happening here in Matthew chapter 2, whether you realize it or not, it's actually a mission trip that's involved in here. God's going to take these, this star and he's going to give these wise men some information that they need to follow the star that there has been one that's been born a king. And they're going to go from this place on a mission to that place and they're going to actually carry the gospel to people while they're going. Now they don't know all of what they're going to be doing but God's going to call them into this. He's going to bring them into this and he's actually several things that are going on here and I'll share more about that later. 
But what I want to get at is in the beginning of tonight that missions does not start by looking out what's out there. Mission starts by looking up there and say, what are you up to? What are you doing? Because for the next three nights, we're going to look at it's God that does the organizing of missions. He's the organizer. Now, in our day, we can come up with great ideas and we could think, man, if we could do that or we could do that or, 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 man, if we could just do this or we could do that and they could all make sense and we could all vote on it and say, hallelujah, that would be a great idea. But the problem of it is if God's not the author of it, it's always going to be a mess and it's always going to fail at the end of the day and never accomplish what he set out because he was not the one that designed what's being done as setting out. And in this text, I find that he's the organizer, and what I want to deal with tonight, of the people of missions. He's the one that puts this whole thing together, and he's the one that picks the ones that's going to be involved in the mission work that's going to be done. Now, one of the things, people that he picks is, uh, in this text, he picks the choice of the wise men. Now, I'm just saying, in a normal meeting of spiritual people, the wise men from the east are probably not going to people we would readily pick to take the news of the gospel to the king. It should be maybe the Jews. It should be the religious that that already have had the scriptures and know all about Christ. They're the ones that's going to know where he's supposed to be born. They're the one that actually tells the wise men from the scriptures where he's supposed to be born because they've not heard them themselves. But God chooses wise men and he brings them there on a mission there to deliver the news that there's somebody been born a king and he brings them to Herod and puts them right in the king's palace. He takes them to the religious crowd, takes that message to the religious crowd. In fact, he uses them to get to the message to all of Jerusalem that there's been a born uh, king, king of the Jews. And he picks the wise men. Now, why are they the one that's going to work? Because he picked them. Now, in modern missions, and again, if this is what God wants, I'm all for it. We have something that sounds logical. What we want to do, we want to go to somewhere and we want to reach the people. Let's say I work there off the Wind River Indian Reservation, the Arapahoe and Shoshone. And what we want to do is I'll go there and I'll start a church and I'll, I'll win a, a Shoshone and, and he'll make a good pastor to the Shoshone people. And I'll win an Arapahoe and he'll make a good uh, a missionary or, or a good pastor to the Arapahoe people because he knows what they're like. Am I right? That's our natural thinking. There's only one problem with that and that's my Bible. Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. See, it makes sound thinking. It may not make good Bible. Because what God wants is the one he picks. Because I promise you, when God come to me, pastor in Faith Baptist Church, and I loved Faith Baptist Church. I had been there for 13 years. We had started a pastor school, and we got to see men that had been called come through, and they were going out to pastor churches, and we got to see people saved, and we got to see that things grow. And, and I, I, we'd been in a building program ever since we were there, and I'd planned on being there for the rest of my life. And when God came and he let me know that he wanted me to do what it is that I'm doing, I began to explain to him why that wasn't a good idea, how I wasn't qualified in that area, and how I needed to be much older. I needed to be much wiser. I needed to know a lot more than I did and he really needed to get somebody else and he just didn't seem like he cared. So you can explain to him why you can't be used but if he taps on you and said I'd like to use you I want you to understand if he chooses you then he can. 
And in fact, nobody else will do a job like you can do because you're the one that he picked to do the job. So he picked the wise man. He wanted somebody that everybody knew. I still remember I had one of the preachers that I knew. He was more of a renowned preacher, somebody that a lot of people didn't know. I was just pastoring up in the backwoods of Virginia. Didn't nobody know who I was. And I still remember when he came to me the first time. And he said, Brother Mike, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure, you go ahead. He said, how are you going to make it? You're going to starve your family. Stepping down. Going out into the work that you're doing. This is somebody that I heard preach on faith before. And that's what he said. I know by faith, but. But I knew what he really meant. And he wasn't trying to be mean. In his heart, he hadn't heard the word I'd heard from God. But what he was saying, he said, you're just a nobody from nowhere. Nobody knows who you are. You're not nationally known as a preacher. You're not even in the camp meeting circuit. There's not a whole lot of people know who you are and, and care to know who you are. So I, I don't see how it's going to be done. Well, there's just one way. And that's God picked me for the job that he gave me. He chose the wise man. He chose him from a foreign field. He didn't come from the current field that's being ministered into. He chose somebody from out there. How come? Because that's the way God designed it. And so I'm not going to know that unless I get in on God's design. If I don't go to God and ask him who it is that needs to be involved in what's going on, then I'm not going to know that if my first thoughts are what's going on out there and my first thoughts are not what's going on up there, I'm going to miss everything that happens from that point on. Because I need to know who the, who the guy is, who is the person. Second thing he did, he made a choice of Herod. Now we'll say more about this tomorrow night. But most people in their ministries would like to leave the Herods out. How come? Because one, he's a liar. Two, he's subtle. And three, he's going to kill every baby in town two years old and under. And we'd like to leave the Herod's out. But it was not the wise men's idea that they go to Herod. It was the guy that was leading the star that they go to Herod. See, sometimes the way we feel is that we just want to get rid of the Herods of the world. And if we could just get rid of all the Herods of the world, then we'd be right and we'd be okay. If I could just have him out of that church and maybe he'd go to that church or, or, or maybe, you know, he calls the preacher to say, pray for me, I'm sick. And he preacher goes, yeah, I will. Lord, go ahead now. You've got him sick. Take him on out. Because sometimes we think we'd be better off without the Herods in the world. But sometimes God uses a Herod to get his will done. And if he picks him, then you're going to have to deal with the Herod you've been given. Because he's organizing the mission. Their goal was not to get to Herod. Their goal was to get to Christ. It was God's goal that on their way to get to Christ, they got to Herod. Of course, another one of the players is that he chose Jesus and, and Jesus should be at the end of everybody's goal, amen, of where we're going. That's certainly the goal of God. That was He wanted to get everybody to know about Jesus. He wanted to get everybody to Jesus or, or have the knowledge of how to get to Jesus. He wanted that doing it until he made that choice and he put that down. That was the example of the text here as we look at the mission that's happening here. 
you got your Bible, turn to the book of Luke chapter 6. It's not on the example of the coming of Christ how God used that. It's the same method that Christ used himself. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. He said, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into the mount to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Now Jesus could have had a choice of, from a lot of people to be disciples. Am I right? How did he get the twelve that were going to be closely his? Did he say, stand up in front of me, boys, and y'all give me your presentations, give me your ideas, let me in on what you think and, and what your goals are and what your life achievements desire. Let me just give me everything that you've got, and at the end of the day, I look at everything that you've got and see what you, what you can do and what I think you can do. No, he said he went to the Father, and he, he knew all of the people that were out there, and he went to the Father. This is God's Son. I'm saying the pattern that he said. He said, Father, if you want to give me some, if you want me to have 12, I want to have the 12 that you give me, amen, and he he said, Lord, I want to know who they are. And he spent all night and prayed and said, Lord, who do I get? And he got him a Peter. Oh, we all like Peter because Peter's rambunctious. He's ready to go. He's, he's eager to go uh, do something for the Lord. But you would have never picked a Judas. But God did. How come? Because he's going to use Judas to get his will done. I'm just saying you may get a Judas along the way that's not going to do things the way you wanted him to do it, but you might make sure that God's the one that gave him to him and you didn't pick him yourself. Whole different outcome. I'm just saying when he began a relationship in ministry with another man, his pattern was that he got the information he's about to do from God. Go to Acts chapter 13. That was not only the example that was set... In Matthew chapter 2, the example that was set by Christ, that was the example of missions at their birth point as far as we know them today. Verse 2 says, And as they ministered to who? The Lord. And did what? Fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto... What's his next words? I have called them. You see, this church, this first supporting church, this first sending church... The pattern was that it wasn't the missionary that came to the church that caused them to be stirred in their direction. It was God that came to the church and caused the church to be stirred in his direction. See, but again, that's not modern day pattern. I don't, I don't know many churches and I haven't asked one question here because I didn't want to know. Ignorance is bliss for the preacher that's new in town. Okay? 
But I don't know how you get your missionaries. I can say this throughout most of the missionaries across the country as far as churches, they don't go in fasting and prayer and they're gone in a private session to God and they've said, Lord, what are you up to? They're worshiping, they're doing what God would have them to do and went to God and said, and, and as they were in their worship, as they were in their service, God came in and said, now that's the guy that I want you to be a part of. But that's the way they did it in the Bible. And that's the way we need to get back to doing it today. How comes? Because you're not supporting something on a business mindset. You're just supporting the will of God. Because what happens, and I've had preachers, I've had missionaries express this. I've seen it in missions meeting where you've got a bunch of preachers. Because this business mentality has caused caused a competitiveness among the people of God. I saw it when I first started because I didn't know what I was doing. Again, I knew what was modern. I knew what most people did. And so when I first started, I was going to be a missionary. I got me a a board and I I got me a a little, and it was really just a blow up of my prayer card because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any trinkets to lay out and and it looked pretty pitiful, if you just be honest with you. And I, I went to Florida, and I, and I was at a Bible conference there that I was going to be preaching in. And, and, and the guy said, come and set it up. You know, set up your, your board. And so I come and I set up this little pitiful little board. And there were several missionaries came in, and I, I noticed after a little while my boards had been moved. And this guy came in beside me, and he had set out a spread. I mean, he had it all going on. And he had moved it over this way. A little later in the day, I noticed mine was in a completely different place because there was another missionary came in and he had a spread and he had moved my stuff over here. And I realized, we got some stuff going on here, boys. We're, we're, if I'm going to get somebody, we got to get competitive here. I still remember one of my college professors was there. He came over and he said, brother, can I have one of your prayer cards? And I said, yes, sir. He said, yeah, I'd like to write this other missionary's number down. I didn't have nothing to write on. Of course, he was just picking at me. but the Lord was letting me know God wasn't in anything I was doing that's just doing what I had seen done before that's what I'd heard other people do see in this business mentality what it causes in a missionary's heart it causes them a stress that they can't do nothing about because there's a lot of times there's nothing going on in where they're working that sounds good But they're afraid if you've adopted them because of a business mentality, if you don't feel like you're getting something for your buck, then you're going to drop them when they send back their report. I think everybody ought to have to send somebody a report for two or three months and see what that's like. Because you just can't be any more in the will of God than the will of God. I mean, pastor here, I know he wants the church to grow and I know he wants people to be saved and he wants things to happen. But he's limited in what he can do. He can preach what God would have him to preach and he can do what God would have him to do. But outside of that, anything else is going to be outside of the realms of faith. It's not going to be pleasing to God. It's not going to produce anything that's great. And I'm just saying the missionaries need to know that and the supporting churches need to know that. So when we work together, we understand that together. See, if I know you got me because a church gets me because it's the will of God, then I don't have to do anything to keep them but stay in the will of God. 
I've not sold them anything. I've not advertised them anything. It was in a meeting they had with God, not a meeting they had with me that caused them to turn that direction. If that's the case, then God can maintain the relationship. I'll do everything that God would have me to do, and I'll give everything that God would have me to give. But at the same time, if somebody drops me over there, I'm not going to be afraid of that. If that one doesn't do what they said over here, I'm not going to fear that because I've been called by God to do what I'm doing, and God's organized the people that are involved in that. That's the pattern of the Bible that I'd like to see us get back to because one of the things that's happened in that because when you're thinking that you have a again a business mentality you're thinking about the money and 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 I'll talk about money Lord willing on Wednesday night as we're in faith promise I I, I promise you I'll get there but it's just not in the fashion you may be used to or think about but I promise you if you'll get to God and God gets you you'll get he'll get out of you what he wants to get out of you but the thing that we've been robbed Is because we've got to send back, again, the thinking of, and I'm not saying all missionaries, I'm saying most missionaries. The thinking is they've got to send you something that sounds exciting. We've had all of this activity. Can I tell you, activity doesn't necessarily equate spirituality. Amen. Sometimes for me, things have got worse instead of better. Mission letters in modern days sound like a business report. Here's what you got for your money. We had these souls saved. We did this. We did this. We did this. We did this. Am I right? For the most part. But that's not the way the mission letters sounded in the Bible. The mission letters in the Bible, if you go back to Philippians, he said, I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to bound. He said, I've learned how to be full. I've learned how to be hungry. And he said, through all the lessons that I've learned in doing what God would have me to do, he said, I've learned one thing. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. We can't have that kind of letter in modern mission thinking these days because most of them are afraid if they send you the bad, you're going to drop them because you're going to have some other guy that's going to come through that's going to sound better than he does. And because of that, we've lost the spiritual relationship. See, one of the things it is, is that a lot of times, and I'm not accusing all missionaries of this, but we've built that mentality. If we come into a church that we're thinking money, and, and, and you, I, I come to your church and you're thinking money, at the end of the day, we, we're going to miss the deeper thing that God wants to do because what God wants to do is it's not so much for me to come up and just uh, share everything that I'm doing out there. That's certainly a part of it. But what God wants to do, if God gives me a supporting church and, and, and we have a relationship, that's there is that they give spiritual things in my direction and at the same thing I give spiritual things in their direction I, I take from the lessons that I've learned where God has sent me and the things that I've done that's what Paul did and he took them back to the churches that he had a relationship with and he gave back in that direction because they were drawing things from him they were given in his direction but at the same time he was given back in their direction and somehow we've got away from that that we're missing that spiritual connection of what God can do He began to teach me this early on. Because again, he's king. And if he's king, he says for us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things shall be added unto you. Now most of you, if I ask you tonight, do you believe that? You'd say hallelujah, that's the Bible, amen. But most of us, if he's not really king, and Lord over our life, then we can never trust him to give us all our stuff because we're still doing things and figuring things out ourselves. 
See, as a missionary, I don't have to figure out who my supporters are going to be. I don't have to figure out the people. How come? Because he's the designer of the mission. And if he's designer of the mission, I don't have to figure the people out. He, t- he started teaching me that when I was pastoring there uh, in Virginia. I remember the first lesson that I ever learned. I, I, we were in a building program from the beginning. We started in an old primitive Baptist church. We'd been abandoned about 20 years, and we'd redone some things that didn't have any bathrooms. And so we were going to put some bathrooms on. And so we built a two-story addition onto the, the end of the church there. And, and, and it got time. We were having success. We, we were getting the building, and we were just paying for everything as it went along. We got to see God do a lot of things. And then one Wednesday night, I did the dumbest thing I ever done in all my pastorate. I brought carpet samples to a congregation and said, what do you like? The only bad business meeting we had in my 13 years was the night I brought carpet samples. And I remember saying, if you get me out of this night, Lord, I promise you, I will never bring another sample of anything into your house ever again. So how come? Because if I'm going to have them united in being angry, at least it can be at me. Because I found some like blue, some like pink, some like purple, some like other crazy stuff. I was trying to figure it out. We were trying to figure it out. It didn't work very good. I just went through that. But we finally muddled through, uh, figure out what we were going to do. And we're, we're going to go on Thursday and, and buy the carpet. Wednesday night before this Thursday, my wife gets a call, and it's a guy we'd never met before. His name was John Raper. He was out of Raleigh, North Carolina, and they had a summer home up near where we were. Now, again, this is unusual. He actually called my wife because another church that he had been going to recommended our church that was a little closer for them to go when they were visiting. They were tremendous people. Why they would do that, I don't know, but he did because God can do all kinds of things. So he, he called my wife and said, what time does church start? And my wife said, uh, on Wednesday night, we start at 6.30. Well, that wasn't true. We'd never started at 6.30. We always start at 6. And this was the time before you had call return at star 6.9 or whatever it was. So we didn't know who he was. And, and so now he's come to church a half an hour early. We're going to make a great first impression for somebody visiting the church. And so we get there about 15 after 6 because most Baptists will get to church real early. And so we thought, well, we'd get ahead of him and, and we'll talk to him, apologize for all that stuff. When we got there... Pulled up in the driveway, John Raper, whom we never know, was walking out of the, out of the building because we never locked our building. He comes up to me. Is it okay if I shake your hand? I'm friendly. It's my wife. It's not. Okay. He said, my name's John Raper. He said, I own a carpet store down in Raleigh, North Carolina. He said, the Lord's put it in my heart that I need to supply the carpet for this building that you're building. He said, tell me the color you want and I'll send it to you, send it to you place. Well, I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. And I thought, wow. I didn't have to know where John Raper was in Raleigh, North Carolina, and on the carpet store. I got a God that knows that. I didn't know how. I didn't have to figure out how can I get John Raper that owns a carpet store down in Raleigh, North Carolina, to buy a house up here near where we at. And that preacher to tell him that he needs to go to his my church rather than that church. And he called my wife and get to church early so he has time to measure everything before everybody gets there. Amen. What could we do if we could get God back at the forefront of what we're doing? 
There's so much we'll figure it out. We've got the ideas of this is what we're going to do and this is how we can make it work. God knows the people. He knows how to make it a success. And if, if, I know, if He knows that, then I don't have to know that. If He's called me into the work, then I don't have to figure out how it's going to make it work. When I went to Alaska the first time, we work in the West. We work in the Arctic of Alaska quite a bit uh, up there in the Eskimo villages. And the first time I went up there, I've never been as scared in my life because I was going to a village up on the Arctic Ocean. It's a village of about 500 people. Uh, there's no roads go in or out of the place. You've got to take a bush plane in there. I never met an Eskimo in my life. I didn't know nothing about nothing. I didn't know if I'd have a phone when I got there. I didn't know what I would have. And I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be able to blend in. <laughs> and I was as scared as I could be. And I can remember the night before I... Made it to Wainwright. I landed in Barrow, which is the northernmost point in North America as far as the uh, United States. And I saw this, what looked like a tiny little city, and I saw it was out in the middle of nothing. It was all white. And I remember saying when I was, got, I, I was almost physically sick, I, I, I got that scared. I thought, what have I got myself into? And the Lord reminded me, you didn't get yourself into anything. I picked you. You'll be okay. When you go into somewhere like that, it's, again, I'm just going to be there for six weeks. I've never been there before. I don't, I, I don't know how to impress people. I don't know how, to, how I'm going to fit in. I don't even know how I'm going to get started because I've never done anything like this before in my life, and I don't know anybody else that's done work like this. And So they've not taught me anything. And This is what the Lord had given me. He said, when you get there, and again, this isn't, this isn't what I'd been taught, but it's what the Lord gave me for there. He said, don't speak to anybody until they speak to you. Get out and walk the village every day. And I'd walk two or three times a day. And I never spoke to any of them until they spoke to me. I didn't know why. I just knew that's what the Lord had given me. I figured, I guess, eventually, a 250-pound white guy walking around, wandering around the village, they'd get curious about it. And he let me know. I, I could only respond to them with what they responded to me. So whatever direct question they asked of me, I could answer that question. And I couldn't go any farther. That's, that was the pattern that God had given me. And the Lord had let me know as well. That in the Native American culture, by and large, you don't work from the bottom up, you work from the top down. They're going to follow what the elders do. If you can get an elder, it's going to make it easier getting the people. And so I realized, Lord, I'm going to have to have an elder, but I don't know how to get an elder. And so I just did what God said. I, I walked every day. Well, everything they had that I could go to that was all right for a white man to go, I, I, I went. I went to graduation. They'd had a couple of funerals. I done went to a funeral. I went to a cape walk that they'd had. And, and finally, they were at their second funeral. And, I, and, and, and again, it's, it's nothing like anything I'd ever experienced growing up. They last about an hour and a half. And I sat at the back while the funeral was going on. And, and there was an old Eskimo named Rossman Petook set up here. And I didn't know his name at the time. Set up on the platform. They're very visually, facially expressive people. You can, t you can feel what they're saying almost by, by the expressions on their face. And his, what it was saying didn't seem good to me. He's locked on, staring at me for an hour and a half. He's looking at me, staring at me. And I thought, oh, Lord, what did I do to this guy? I don't even know this guy. Why is he mad at me? I don't, I don't know him and I don't know what I did but I wished I hadn't done it you know <laughs> so when the funeral was over 
I just quietly made my way out. I didn't speak to anybody. I started down the road, and I was headed back to the church. And alongside of me came that old man that had sat there and stared at me for an hour and a half. He's riding a four-wheeler, and he rode up beside of me, and this is what he did. He went. Didn't speak a word. Just did that. I thought that probably meant get on. And I'll be honest with you, I thought, he's going to kill me. <laughs> I'm dead. I'm going to hop on this thing, and we're going out in the tundra. One of us is coming back, and it ain't going to be me. I'm just telling you, that's the truth. That's what's going through my head. But something else that was going through my head was that God had said, if you're going to reach him, you're going to have to get an elder. And I didn't know what he wanted, but I knew he was an elder. And so I got on. He didn't speak to me when I got on. We drove up to his house. He got off the four-wheeler, started in his house. Still didn't speak to me. I thought, oh, I guess he wants me to follow him. He didn't give me any instructions, but he wouldn't have drove me here if he hadn't wanted me to come in. And we came in, and I sat down at his table, and he said, my name's Rossman P. Took, and for the next two or three hours, God opened that man's heart and gave me favor in a way I could have never ask for what I did not know because we worked a lot in the Arctic over the years that he wasn't just an elder he was the elder of elders of the whole North Slope and I'm sitting in his house and I'm drinking his coffee and eating his food and it's that guy that drives over to the church three times a day after that wanting to tell me stuff and show me stuff now, how could I make that happen? So I'm just saying I don't have to figure that out. I just had to be willing to go to the Arctic because he's the one that picks the people for the mission that he calls us to. Now, again, he took me through this. I'm not saying other missionaries need to do this. I think he took me through it just so I could preach with liberty. What I do is that he, he, when, when I began the work of missions, he, he said, you'll never call a missionary, uh, a pastor and say, can I come? I'm, I'm Mike Sutphin. I'm a missionary going to so-and-so place, and I'm going to do something like that. Uh, he just said, you, 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 they may can do that, but you can't do that. He said, you follow me, and you do what I do. And he said, I know, I know where they are. Now, how did I get in Alaska? I'm from Vesta, Virginia. I'm pastoring in Vesta, Virginia. And here I am working on the Arctic Slope, the North Slope of Alaska in a little village called Wainwright. How did I end up there? I know it's because my name had got really famous. It was all over the world. Everybody had heard. When I got a call from that missionary, I went to looking on his uh, page that he had and I went back reading his letters, just trying to get to know the guy that I was going to be in the film. The very month that I surrendered to the call a year ahead of that. In his newsletter, this is what it said. Supporting churches, one of the prayer requests that we have is that y'all pray that God would call a man into the work of relieving missionaries. So when they go home, that that man would be able to take that work and carry that burden while they're gone. Now, how did that man that was praying the same month that I was called, how did we get together? Because God picked the mission. I didn't have to know him. He just needed to know him. And I just needed to know him. And if he'll follow God and I follow God, we'll get where we need to go. 
But we've got to have that liberty for him to be king. We've got to have, let him be the guy that's actually in charge. He's the one that's organizing the mission. And if we go to God as he's organizing the mission, then we'll know what our instructions are. And those things that are beyond our instructions, we don't have to know all the answer for that. I don't have to know where all the people we are. One of the first supporters that I got, I was driving down the road or I was getting ready to go to a camp meeting and there was a couple in the lobby of the motel and they said, hey preacher, I didn't really know them, but they knew I was a preacher. They said, we broke down. Would you mind giving us a ride to church? Sure, I don't mind giving you a ride to church. So we headed up the road. They said, what are you doing these days? I said, ah, God's, we've just left our church and are getting ready to leave the church and God's called us in to do this work in missions and they have been a supporter ever since. We've had Methodists, Presbyterians, all kinds of people that God has used to do what we do. I didn't have to figure that out because that's in his department. He's the one that picks the people. What we need to be willing to do is go to the meeting and say, what is it you'd have us to do? Who is it that you'd have us to be involved with? Because I'm going to tell you, it makes a big difference, and I'm going to close with this tonight. I'll say more about it in the, in the days ahead, but about four and a half years ago, our youngest son ran away from home. And when you go through an hour like that, just having somebody that sends you money every month isn't what's going to get you through. You're going to have to have somebody that you can trust that can say, well, we're not going to drop him because obviously he's been doing something wrong because his son left. No, because they heard from God and so they're just supporting the will of God and so they can just call and say, brother, we're praying for you. We're praying for your son. They're still praying for my son. They still ask about my son. They still encourage in the area of my son because we have something deeper than just a financial relationship. Amen. And I was okay to be able to go to those churches and say... That's some of the hardest things that we've gone through in our life. And I wasn't afraid that they had dropped me because I understood we had more between us and God, between us and them than, than just something if, if the mood gets depressed that they're going to leave me. And I want other men to have what I have. I want other missionaries to have what I have in that realm, the freedom to be able to do what God would have them do. We'll talk some more about that tomorrow night. But I want them to have hand-picked supporters by God. You don't know what that will do for a guy when he knows everyone that he has was given to him by God. Now, tonight, where we leave it at is, are you willing to go to the meeting? And say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because in missions, we already know, according to the text, that... It's an obligation that's going to be a part of everybody's life. It's part of the Great Commission. It's part of the normal text that I would preach during this time out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where ye might be witnesses unto me. No, he said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. But before we're going to be able to do that, we're going to have to report for service because they did not go to the field. When he gave them the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, they went to the prayer room. Am I right? Don't any get anybody that just got excited at the meeting. Make sure they've been to the prayer room. Because that's where you're going to get your instructions. That's where they're going to get it. That's where you're going to get it. But we're going to have to be willing to go.
to the meeting. Father, that seemed to be the distance. You'd have me to go tonight, Lord, just looking at you as the coordinator of missions. And Lord, you are you're good at picking the people. Lord, it gives a freedom. I, I'm here this week. I'm able to get along with Brother Kevin. I'm able to get along with Brother Benji because I'm not in competition with who they are and what they do. Lord, I support and I'm grateful for what they do. And I, I can feel relaxed here. I'm not trying to impress the church. I, I, I can have a freedom with, with uh, Brother Brooks that I don't feel like, well, if I say this or if I don't say that, then maybe uh, they won't do this or they won't do that. Lord, what a great freedom it is to just know you are good at what you do. And Lord, I pray you just help us to trust you with what you do. And Lord, you'd help bring missions back to a place to where there is a deep spiritual relationship with what's going on. I know finances, and we'll talk about that, but Lord, that first place is not finances. The first place is not the people out there. It's not the missionary in here. The first meeting is the coordinator of missions. And Lord, in getting exactly what you'd have us to be involved with and trusting you with everything that's not our part. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.